All right, show of hands. How many of you like to watch Christmas movies at this time of the year? Show of hands, all sites and venues, everybody participate. Okay, there you go. Pretty much everyone's hands went up. So let's play a little game. Which Christmas movie do you think is the biggest moneymaker of all time worldwide? The highest grossing Christmas movie worldwide of all time. I'm going to give you five to choose from. Here they are. National Lampoon, Christmas, Home Alone, The Grinch, Christmas Carol, and Elf. We're going to vote. All sites and venues, if you're at home, vote. It's going to be really fun. Here we go. Ready? You see the five movies. Everybody going to vote? Say yes. 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 I didn't hear you. Say yes. yes. All right. Here we go. National Lampoon, Christmas, 1989, Clark Griswold, Show of hands, you think this is the biggest moneymaker of all time. Okay, that's the, yeah, Clark would be disappointed. Not a lot of hands went up. Home Alone, Home Alone, the first one, Home Alone. Whoa, my gosh, all right. In this room, a lot of hands. All right, The Grinch, uh, the latest movie, the 2018 movie. How many of you think of that one? Okay. All right, A Christmas Carol, 2009. You know, a Dickens a story made modern. Okay, I think... Definitely in this room, Home Alone is winning. And then the last one, Elf. Elf, whoa, lots of hands here. Okay, all right, there you go. I hope you all participated. This is going to be fun. Because the winner is... You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. Now, many of you are grinching out right now. You're going to your phone, and you're Googling, and you're fact-checking your friendly neighborhood pastor. <laughs> That's what's happening right now. Remember when you fact-check that, it's worldwide, not domestic. Here's the list of the four top movies, moneymakers. Here they are. The Grinch is number one. Both Home Alones make the top four, and Dr. Zeus, The Grinch Stole Christmas, the 2000 movie, that's number four. Elf is eight on that list. <laughs> Somebody goes, what? <laughs> National Lampoon Christmas is like 26. Google it, Box Office Mojo, and the Internet Movie Database, that's my uh, source. The Grinch wins the most money-making movie worldwide of all time, the 2018 version. We all know the story of the Grinch. The Grinch is this like selfish green Grinch creature that lives, you know, north on Mount Crumpet of Whoville. And he sees that all the Who's in Whoville are like, you know, really enjoying the Christmas season. So his heart is two sizes too small. So he, in his selfish behavior, decides that he's going to steal all of their trinkets and bubbles and toys. So he goes down there with his dog, Max, and he grabs all of their toys. He brings it back up to Mount Crumpet. He's just about ready to destroy it when all the Who's and Whoville get out and they start singing the most ridiculous song. <laughs> and as they're singing this song, He's realizing that he's not ruining their Christmas. And his heart grows three times larger. 
And a heart transformation takes place right then. He goes back to Whoville with all the toys, distributes them, and then sits down in Whoville and carves the roast beast. And that's the end of the story. Very familiar story this time of year. All of your favorite Christmas movies are the same storyline. They're all about a heart transformation. Just think about it. Whether it's in Dickens, uh, the Carol, and Scrooge's heart's transformed, the Grinch's heart's transformed, Clark Griswold's boss's heart is transformed. You just think about all of these. They're all the same, basically, storyline. It's a storyline that sells lots of tickets. It's a storyline that gets lots of views, and it's a storyline that's as old as the Bible itself. Today, we are going to spend some time looking at one of the original Grinches in the Bible. And most of you are way more familiar with the story of the Grinch than you are this biblical Grinch. He is so selfish, more selfish than the Grinch. But he has a heart transforming experience and he becomes a person of self-sacrifice. The Grinch's name, anybody? His name is Judah. Today we're going to learn the story of Judah. But before I introduce Judah to you, let me introduce myself to you. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the teaching team here at Blackhawk Church. And uh, we are going this year through uh, this series called Live This Book. We started in uh, September and we're going to end in May. We're going through uh, the whole uh, Bible and we are coming to kind of the end of the book of Genesis. We are looking in this series at this time at the people of God. And the idea of looking at these people of God is that we're supposed to become like these people that we're talking about. The people of God started, Charles talked about uh, this man called Abraham, and then we're to be people of covenant. Pastor Matt had that message. And then people of prayer, Charles uh, talked about the conversation uh, that Abraham had with God. And then Lynn Beanick talked about being people of faith. Again, we looked at Abraham. And last week, Pastor Matt talked about people of wisdom. And the person that Pastor, Pastor Matt talked about last week was this guy named Joseph. Remember that story. And today we're going to look at Joseph's brother and to talk about the fact that we should be people of self-sacrifice. So if you didn't see Matt's message last week about Joseph, this message might be a little difficult for you to follow because the two brothers' lives go together like peanut butter and jelly. So just to kind of remind you of the chronology, so there's a guy named Abraham, and Abraham has a, a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons and one uh, daughter. And to look at his kind of family tree, here's Jacob's family tree. You think you come from a dysfunctional family. This is dysfunctional right here in a major way. And yes, Jacob was a polygamist, and that causes all kinds of problems. That's basically the story 
in Genesis. So Jacob, or called, also called Israel, has four uh, wives. Uh, the one he really loves and the one that means more to him than anything, the one he really wanted to marry first, her name is Rachel. She has a sister named Leah, so they're sisters married to the same guy. Dysfunction, like what? And then uh, Leah has a maidservant named Billa, and Rachel has a maidservant named uh, Zilpha. So when the women can't produce children, they give uh, to their husband the maidservant. Dysfunctional, like what in the world? And these are the boys, and there's one girl, uh, Dinah. For our uh, story today, there's only three names that you really need to pay attention to, and that is Judah, his mother's Leah, and then the last kids born, this is not in chronological order, but if it was, the last kids born to Jacob were Joseph and Benjamin. So those are the three names you need to remember. Joseph's brother is Benjamin. And of all the children that Jacob had, who did he love the most? Pastor Matt said this last week. Joseph. We read that in Genesis chapter 37. Here's that verse. Here's the verse. <laughs> now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. This is a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Have you ever hated someone and couldn't think of one good thing to say about them? Don't act Christian on me and say you've never done that. <laughs> you ever hated somebody you just, I can't think of one nice thing about them. That's the way the brothers thought about Joseph. Whose idea was it of the brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. That guy was the Grinch, Judah. We read, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. That's a funny line, isn't it? <laughs> He's our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So his brothers agreed. Judah's a Grinch. He can't stand his brother Joseph. He's selfish about it. And he says, you know what? Let's make some money off of this guy. So then they uh, kill a goat and then take the blood of the goat, and then they pour it on Joseph's coat. And then after they sell him into slavery, they take that coat of many colors that has blood on it, and they give it to Jacob. Very sneakily, they don't say anything. They let Jacob draw his own conclusions about what's happened. Jacob says, oh my gosh, my favorite son Joseph is dead now. Now, who do you think is his favorite son going to be after Joseph dies? That would be... Benjamin, because all, all those women, who did he love more than anybody else? Good. For, thanks for paying attention. So now Benjamin becomes his favorite. As the story goes on, uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. He is uh, he, the slave 
Traders take him to Egypt. He's bought by a man named Potiphar. And then Matt told that story last week. He uh, avoids the advances that Potiphar's wife makes. He ends up in prison. But eventually, and this takes years, he becomes the second in command of all Egypt. He's the guy that's like over uh, all of the industry and all of the agriculture in Egypt. Joseph, he's just a star rises like that. But interesting things happen to Judah because there's this chapter in Genesis called chapter 38, and it's the story of his transformation, and it's a twisted story. So Judah leaves all of his brothers after he gets rid of Joseph, and he wanders into Canaan. He's not supposed to be there. And he marries a Canaanite woman, unnamed in the text. She has three boys. The first one is named uh, Ur, like error, Ur. And Ur is bad to the bone. He takes after his father, Judah, and he is a wicked man. As it was in the custom of that day, uh, the father goes out and finds a bride for Ur, and the woman that Judah finds for his firstborn son, Ur, is a woman who's beautiful, and her name is Tamar. Ur is so bad that the text says that God actually uh, takes his life. And this is where the story gets even stranger. In order to continue the line of someone, in those days, it was the custom that if you had one son and he died with no heirs, then the next son could take that man's wife to be his own wife. Weird custom, but it was the custom of the culture. So Ur dies, and Judah gives Tamar to the second son named Onan. He was also bad to the bone, and the Lord has him eliminated. Now then, Tamar should go to the third son. His name is Shelah. But Judah thinks, you know, Tamar must be bad luck because I gave her to one son and then another, and then they die. So I'm just going to say thanks a lot, but no thanks, and get rid of her. That's basically pushing her out to widowhood, a life of destitution, and she's going to end up homeless. But Tamar decides to uh, deceive Judah, the deceiver. She dresses up as a prostitute. And in those days, in that culture, that means that she completely veiled her face. Judah's walking down the road one day, and he sees her in the area where the prostitutes hang out, and Judah decides he wants to have sex with her. He doesn't know it's his own daughter-in-law, Tamar. Are you following the story? Before they have sex, Tamar says, you know what? Uh, What can I get from you? What kind of money do you have? 
And Judah doesn't have any money, he just has a sexual desire. And so he says, well, I have uh, these three credit cards. Well, not really credit cards, but it's a seal, a cord, and a staff. And they like all have his name on it. They, they identify him. And she takes those, and then they have sex with each other. Tamar's desire is not really for sex with him, but to continue the line of Judah. But Judah's desire is just to have sex with this woman. Time passes, and then this woman, Tamar, who disguised herself as a prostitute, she becomes pregnant. We picked up the text, Genesis 38. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. <laughs> this guy is way worse than the Grinch. This is like the epitome of hypocrisy right here. So, as the text continu continues, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila, and he did not sleep with her again. I tell this story because it's the story of his undoing. It's when he hits complete bottom. He's saying, oh my gosh, she is more righteous. She wants my line to continue. And I didn't want that. I just wanted to have sex. She becomes pregnant and she has twin boys, Perez and Zera. But this story in chapter 38 shows a transformation of Judah's heart. Judah was a Grinch. He was a selfish brother, a selfish son, a selfish father, and a selfish man who wants sex. But as the storyline continues, he has a change of heart. So there's a huge famine in the land. And who's in Egypt that's responsible for all the food in Egypt? His name is? But the brothers don't know it's Joseph because he's changed his name. He speaks Egyptian. He looks Egyptian. He, they, don't, they have no idea that Joseph is still alive. So the famine comes and uh, the brothers are sent by their father to Egypt to, you know, get food. And Joseph sees that his brothers come. But the brothers come without bringing Benjamin because Benjamin is now Jacob's favorite son. And Jacob says, there's no way I'm letting Benjamin go. I might lose him too because he's already lost Joseph. Joseph sees these boys and he like, this 22 years have passed. And he's thinking to himself, I wonder if Benjamin's even alive. They always say, yeah, we have a younger son. Well, he says, bring him here. So the boys go back to Jacob and they say to their father, yeah, this guy in Egypt, he's not going to give us any food unless we bring the youngest one. And Jacob said, no, 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 I, I can't lose Benjamin too. 
And then who steps up and says, no, 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 no. I'll take care of him. Who is it? Judah. We read, then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. Judah's no longer a Grinch. His heart has been transformed. He says, Dad, I know how much you love Benjamin, but I, I will make sure that he comes back. So now all the boys go to Egypt. And Joseph, now he sees Benjamin, and that's his blood brother. They have the same mother. Her name is? Same mother. And he just can't control himself. And he's just like, you know what? I want Benjamin to stay here. I don't care about the other 10. I can get rid of them. So he devises a plan because he's so wise. And he devises a plan where he kind of frames Benjamin for a petty little crime. And when he's kind of caught in this crime, well, everybody would understand, well, now Benjamin has to stay in the little jail, and now the rest of them have to go back to Israel to see their father. And so when this all comes out, and he's deciding, he's, Joseph now is going to keep Benjamin, now all the other boys can go back. He can care less about them. Who is it that steps up and says, no, 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 no. We must take Benjamin back. His name is Judah. And in the longest speech in the book of Genesis, Judah says in part, this little part right here. Your servant, Judah, is talking to Joseph, but he has no idea who Joseph is. He just thinks Joseph's in charge of Egypt. He says, your servant He's talking about himself. Guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. This is the first example in the biblical record of self-sacrifice, of substitution. And it just stands out like a beacon in the Bible. He's saying, I will sacrifice myself. And when he says that, Joseph can't control himself anymore. And he sees now that Judah is a completely changed man. And so Joseph just comes clean and says, you know, I'm in charge here. So Joseph comes up and says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. And all the boys with their father come into Egypt and all of Abraham's descendants are now saved because the Grinch had a heart transformation and was willing to substitute himself for his brother. How you guys doing? Did you follow that story? 
So what are some principles we can learn from this? Principle number one, self-sacrifice images God. Our God is a God of self-sacrifice. He gives up himself. This is the Christmas story. The God of the universe who created everything becomes so tiny, he's like an embryo and plants himself in the womb of a Hebrew teenage girl. This whole movement is about self-sacrifice. When the Apostle Paul summarizes the work of Jesus Christ, he writes this. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Self-sacrifice images God. It's the first principle. Second principle is this. Self-sacrifice images God. We are to be people who serve others at our own expense. We're to be people who serve other people at our own expense. Right before Paul uh, wrote that about Jesus, he says this to people who were in Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as that is Christ Jesus. And then he launches into those verses that I just read. Self-sacrifice images God, and we are to be people like that. The person that we're supposed to follow in our life is God himself. We're to be people of self-sacrifice. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and as a sacrifice to God. Who are, who's our example as Christ follows? Not supposed to be some famous athlete, not supposed to be some famous person on social media, not supposed to be some famous politician. It's supposed to be God himself. That's our example as Christ follows. And when the New Testament was new, the Christ followers took this literally and they gave them themselves. And that's how people knew they were Christ followers. One church historian writes this, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. In those days, when you said Christ follower, people thought, oh yeah, those are the people who are not selfish. They give for the benefit of others. So practically, what would this actually look like? I don't think very many of us are about ready to sell, you know, ourselves uh, to protect our brother because, you know, that could, I don't think we're about ready to die. For, but those are practical things that we could do to like give of ourselves at this time. Well, it's kind of a no-brainer at this time of the year. So one of the things we just talked about was Advent uh, conspiracy. So Advent conspiracy, we have an opportunity to uh, release resources 
uh, that goes to all kinds of wonderful organizations at all of our sites and venues. We heard someone from some different organization. These are all fantastic organizations. Every dime that you give to Black Hawk Church for Advent Conspiracy goes outside the walls to one of these organizations. Last year, you guys were so generous, you gave over $466,000. And all of that money, every penny, went to different organizations. It's our opportunity to not be selfish, but to actually be selfless. And we do this at a time of the year when we're actually down in our budget, actually. But instead of keeping the money, we disperse it. Why? We're trying to image God. Someone say amen. Here's another very simple thing you can do. It's study day. Study day, we're going to have over 1,000 students here this Friday. And there's all kinds of opportunity. It takes like 500 people to make study day happen. And study day is not just about food, you guys, although that's a big part of it. But for many people who are students at UW or Edgewood, when they come to Madison, study day can be their very first experience with a church. Their very first experience. And when they come into this atrium and they just get showered on with generosity, that has an effect on people. So you can give to study day. What's another practical thing that we might be able to do? Well, you know, I think it would be wrong of me to not talk about family. Because, I mean, the story of Judah is all about family. So, um, is anybody going to see their family in the next few weeks? Does anybody come from a family that you go, yeah, it's not really the Waltons. It's kind of a dysfunctional family here. Yeah, probably most of us. So let's talk about our family of origin and what we're going to do in the next few weeks. When my wife and I used to counsel young couples who were getting married, we used to talk about this because this is one of the few things young couples could kind of grasp onto and go, yeah, I think this is going to be an issue. My wife and I call it FUI, family of origin issues, FUI. And everybody has a fooey going on. And it usually comes up when you go to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas holidays and stuff like that. And you go visit because all of a sudden uh, you're ending into some traditions that you didn't grow up with. And most people understand this is probably going to be a place of landmines. And there's, there's tripwires everywhere. You're going to offend somebody. You don't even mean to offend them. But this is just kind of family of origin issues. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And it has nothing to do with being married. Singles just experience it in a different way. I mean, if you're single and you go back to your family of origin, there's probably some cranky uncle at the Christmas dinner who looks across the turkey at you and says, when are you going to get married? <laughs> when we're celebrating someone who was single, Jesus Christ. It's a weird thing. <laughs> so just a few tips if you're a host, don't be a Grinch. Think about other people. Maybe people who are coming to your house, well, maybe that tradition that you've had for a long time, you know, it doesn't have any zip in it anymore. It may be used to 20 years ago, but it really doesn't anymore. And especially for new people coming into your family, they're like, why do you guys do this? Maybe ask 
a new person in your family what kind of traditions that you do and maybe start something different. Put the needs of someone else ahead of your own needs. Just an idea. If you're visiting someone, don't be a Grinch. If you're going into a family and you're going, my gosh, Pastor Chris, you have no idea. I've got to be a Grinch just to survive in this family. This family is so weird. I mean, there's dysfunction all over this family. Pastor Chris, you have no idea. I'm saying, stop, 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 stop. Judah's family put the D in dysfunction. They're way more dysfunctional than your family you're thinking of. Way more. But Judah took it upon himself to not be about himself. Listen, none of us uh, want to enable bad behavior. I know boundaries are important. I totally get that. But some of us never think about what can we do to sacrifice what we want for the sake of the people that we're visiting. Especially if they can see that what you're doing is actually sacrificial on your part. That's what got Joseph. He saw this was sacrificial on Judah's part. And he changed his mind. Listen, you're not responsible for what other people say and do. You're only responsible for what you say and what you do. And when other people who you're visiting, when they think about you as being a Christ follower, do they see you as someone who images God? You're a person self-sacrifice. If you follow the storyline, Judah, his family, becomes the most powerful family in Israel by far. He becomes a leader over all the other tribes. Judah's family becomes powerful. And his father, Jacob, predicts that the Messiah will come from Judah's family. Because without Judah, there would be no Christmas story. You open up the New Testament, and the very first page reads like this. This is a genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. And many generations later, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. Without that twisted family, there would be no story. You can't out Grinch God's grace. Somebody say amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I just know 
a message like this uh, goes right to the heart of who we are as a people of God. And I, I pray, Father, on behalf of my brothers and sisters who are at all sites and venues and listening on the podcast, that you would help us to be a people who give of ourselves, that we would be people who think about the other, that we would image you in front of our community and in front of our family, particularly as we make all kinds of journeys at Christmas. We go into all kinds of homes that are messed up in all kinds of different ways. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be not Grinches, but to be like a transformed Judah, to say and do things that are not about our self-interest, but about the interests of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. And for the sake of his reputation, all God's people said,